Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest this week is Helen Lee Buig. Uh, Helen, if you could uh, introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background on on, on you and your, your organization. Thanks, Tony. Um, so my professional background originally um, was I am a specialist in uh, transformations of large companies um, and turnarounds of companies in difficulty. And I started the Reboot Foundation in 2018, predominantly to try to fund research um, and studies around how to bring critical thinking to children of younger age than we do in our homes and at schools today. Um, In addressing children, obviously, uh, we realized that there aren't very many practical tools or guides also for adults either. And so uh, we've done some research also around critical thinking for adults as well. And since 2019, another angle that we've approached is thinking hard about how do you fight against fake news? Um, Because it is our belief at the Reboot Foundation that the lack of critical thinking also engenders more susceptibility to fake news as well. Which I would agree with. Uh, before you got to the part about how you 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 eventually realized we also needed these tools for adults, I, uh, that was my first thought. <laughs> is is because ultimately I feel like uh, you know, and I'm not an expert in this field at all, but just from my own personal experience as both a a, a one once upon a time student and as a parent, I feel like. The education system in, in the United States does a relatively poor job of, te- of teaching critical thinking skills like the, the 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 education system seems to be geared primarily toward, you know, memorization and can you pass this exam and then, and, and, you know, and so many other classes just teach to the test and, uh, you know, so ultimately you might pass that test, you might get an A in that class. But it doesn't mean that you've learned anything about how to actually analyze or critically think about that subject. You're absolutely right, Tony. And um, the irony is that in one of our survey, we we do an annual survey um, around critical thinking. And the last three years, every year, over 95% of those that we um, conduct a survey with actually consider critical thinking skills as one of the most important skills necessary for the workplace and for their children, and yet um, basically more than, um, you know, the majority of those that we interview believe that their children are not getting the education at schools. And uh, last year we actually did a survey for teachers as well, and even the teachers that we surveyed uh, mentioned that over half of their schools don't have it in the curriculum. And let me be a little bit more specific to your point about memorization. It is true that teachers today uh, feel very much stretched uh, because there's a lot of uh, pressure in terms of um, making sure that the standardized tests, the level of the students um, are where they are. But it's not just the actual um, time that's lacking. It's not having clear understanding of how to incorporate it in um, the education of children or which age, which subject matters. And if there's one thing that our studies have shown, 
critical thinking skills is content related. So there are universities that try to do critical thinking for dummies in a semester. That's not really a practical way to teach critical thinking either. It's, it's really a building blocks based on subject content matter. And that's predominantly why uh, the Reboot Foundation also decided to release teachers' guides to critical thinking on sub uh, based on subject matters as well. Okay. Yeah, I know like my um the closest I can think of to coming to uh, like uh, skills that can be applied to critical thinking from for for my kids and actually my wife took this class uh, recently as well. Um, but my three three of my older kids have all taken the the, the same. Uh, psychology class from the same teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, and in this class, he is it, basically a class in logic and he, he spends the, you know, the majority of the semester. Um, discussing all the all of the logical fallacies yeah. and um, that I think, you know, like having that conversation, I feel has been has been helpful because, you know, when we you know, try to kind of bring this back to the fake news angle, I think that is one of the things that's really lacking is for someone to be able to read a story and sort of easily identify you know okay that's a red herring okay that's a straw man okay that's a non sequitur you know you're 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 you know and, and try to sift out all of that sort of debris <laughs> and get down to like okay what is the actual point of this article sure i mean um it just a couple of dimensions you know for first thing is i think um to be a critical thinker, and uh, you know, your example of the psychology is pertinent. The way the Reboot Foundation thinks about it is there's three dimensions. One is questioning assumptions. Two is reasoning through logic, to your point about you know, your child with the psychology class. And three is seeking out diversity of thought. Um, and it, it's, it's really building and, and being used to thinking about those three dimensions um, that helps people become better thinkers or better critical thinkers. Now, there is another dimension um, about uh, identifying fake news and, and also just trying to muddle through the plethora of information that's available online. So the benefit is that we do have so much information, information available at our fingertips. The downside is there's a lot of it. And to your point, how do you sift through that? I think basic media literacy skills is something else that we don't do enough of um, in our schools today. Um, and specifically what I, you know, what you pointed out, um, like uh, trying to learn how to judge the reliability of the sources. Uh, one of the surveys that the Reboot Foundation did in 2019, more than a third of middle school students in the U.S. say that they rarely or never learn how to judge the reliability of sources. So, um, and when we surveyed some teachers in 2020, 45% of the educators actually said that they are not, their schools are not offering media literacy courses in their schools. So um, there's two different dimensions. One is, as, as we were talking about, the general education of critical thinking. And secondly, just basic tools of media literacy that is so much more important as we navigate in this digital world. Okay. Um, you know, every, every year, and actually, I think the, the the current one just came out recently. There's a a chart that goes around on social media that ranks media sites or media outlets um, based on 
left wing versus right wing and credibility. You know, you know the you know the chart I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and and I and I have shared that with people to be like, look, you know, if you're if if this this seems relatively valid. I mean, when I look at it, I'm like, okay. I mean, some of the things I might not agree with, you know, where they place them exactly on the on the chart, but overall, I'm like, it, if you can if you can focus on, you know, trying to it, it, if you, even if you don't get your your original information from a source that's in the top middle, uh you know, maybe use those to try to validate the story. Like if you read a story that's from the left or the right, you know, at least try to go to the middle <laughs> and see if, <laughs> see if, see if, see if that story still holds water. No, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're right. Because that kind of addresses the point about seeking out diversity of thought. So let's talk a little bit about that. Even pre COVID, um, one out of four Americans, uh, declare that they deliberately avoid people who think differently from them. And, and that's just, you know, psychologically, it's, it's easier for us, right? Because we, we like selective thinking, it's comfortable, you don't feel challenged. So there is a, you know, sense of human nature about uh, wanting to just read and validate information on uh, of, of similar viewpoints. But, um, the, it's interesting that this, you mentioned you started off this conversation, you know, section talking about how the social media showed the display of um, where these traditional media stand out. Don't forget that over 90 percent of how we get our news is not via these specific traditional media sites. It's actually directly from social media. And that is actually one of the massive problems that we have where people are becoming much more selective thinkers and stuck in their own eco chambers because social media's algorithm is such that their objective and their economic model is that they keep your eyeballs on their platforms as long as possible. And so what they show you and what they feed you is actually naturally not opposing views, but deliberately showing you sites and information and blogs that tend to be more towards your original uh, opinions. And so, you know, you have this amplifying effect of social media um, of, of really force, uh, just naturally putting people in their echo, echo chambers and not being able to reach out and having a different perspective. And, you know, talking about fake news, our studies have shown that the more time people spend on social media, the more susceptible they are to fake news. And that is irregardless of their... Um, age, income, or political affiliation. Interesting. So I actually, a few months back on, on this podcast, uh, talked about this a little bit um, from, from that perspective, which, uh, so I, I had a conversation uh, with uh, Dave Marcus, who's a friend of mine who's a cybersecurity professional. Mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about this idea of you know, I, I have friends and family members who are on the, the, the side of the fence of, you know, don't trust the media, do your own research. And, and I said, I, I said, I, I have a problem with this theory because I, I question um, 
anyone's ability to do their own research. You know, for one thing, if we're, if we're talking about COVID, like unless you're an actual virologist or epidemiologist, like I, I, I don't care what your, your personal research is. <laughs> but, but secondly, um, because of the algorithms that you just described, that makes it difficult. So I am in my, I'm in my, you know, whatever my echo chamber is in Facebook mm-hmm. and Facebook shows me a story. Now, if I say, hey, I want to go, you know, if I, if I, if I try to be responsible about it and say, hey, I'm going to go research this. I want to go find out, is this, is this a valid story? The problem is that, you know, Google also has me you know, <laughs> al- al- algorithmically blocked. Because content. they're going to show you to the sites that you've already been. So there is, a, yeah, you're right. Right. So, so, so when you try to do your own research, your echo chamber is still being reflected back to you. Well, you know, I mean, you raise a couple of good points. So um, it is a fact that, um, unfortunately, a, a, over a third of the U.S. population just um, is skeptical and, and doesn't believe in traditional media. So and and frankly, in Europe, it's it's actually even more accentuated than that. So it, it's a higher percentage. Um, but to your research point, you know, I don't think it's a lost cause on online. So um, my recommendation is not that we all just give up online and go to the library and try to, you know, go back to paper, which, by the way, we should all do more of and do some digital detox. But, you know, there are a couple of tricks that you can use to, to give you a, a specific example of your or your Google example. Um, rather than, unfortunately, majority of people uh, over 75% of the people, when they do a search, they will never click through more than the first five suggestions that Google gives. And very, a very small percentage of the people will actually scroll through the second or third page in terms of when they do a Google search. But obviously, you know, those are kind of easy tricks that we can use and also engage with our children as well, because our children are also doing their a school study research on Google and Wikipedia, um, and 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 ju- just the practice of um, if they're doing research online, deliberately making an effort to click through the second and third page in terms of what Google suggests. For example, okay, that makes sense. Um, the the one of the one of the suggestions that uh, uh, Dave Marcus had suggested uh, when we when we had the conversation was, um, you know, you could also go to use a different browser like a DuckDuckGo yeah. that is, you know, kind of stripped, stripped of those kind of algorithms. Because, yeah, we talked about how, like, if I'm left leaning and you're right leaning and we do our own research, we're going to get different answers. And if we switch to computers, you know, maybe that would help. You know, if I if I search on your computer and you search on mine. Um, <laughs> because and, what shows then, up and, is so different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then he also suggested he's like, or 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 what might be a you know a neutral territory is if you were on like a public computer at a library where like multiple people have used it so that you know the, the search algorithm is is broader. Um, no, and, and 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 objectively, Tony, if you are actually going through a scientific study, um that's well done even online. You will find footnotes, you will see references. So you could obviously dig deeper. You know, you start with first whatever article you've read, you uh, see, look at the source, you know, see the background of the source and, you know, ask yourself what the reliability of the source is this a interest group that's trying to push something, peddle something. Um, And then obviously if it's a scientific research, 
then you will find additional sources of, you know, what you're going to do kind of like what we would normally have done in a research paper uh, if we were using sort of right. reading books, for example, as, as, as research, right? Well, okay, but there's that's another area where the internet and social media have kind of skewed things and messed things up because there are there are plenty of examples of say, you know, uh, I, I I'll admit my own bias that I, I I've only seen these uh, you know from from the right wing. I'm sure they exist on the left as well, but I only notice them because I, I I tend to lean left, so I notice them from the other side. But there are you know quote unquote think tanks that are set up that are that are just fronts for propaganda. Yeah. And then it's real easy online for me to set up a hundred, a thousand websites um, that have names that sound like news outlets. You know, like I could just call it Houston News, and then, you know, maybe that's not a real thing, but you know, if it's HoustonNews.com, it sounds like news. Yeah. And if I just mirror the same story across a hundred different sites, it lends credibility to it. So now, so now, you know, my father-in-law reads a story on Facebook thinks he's doing his research so he clicks through to see okay well you know is this is this a you know a one off you know crazy conspiracy theory or or is there is there support for this and then you click through and you say oh well you know this this think tank did a research study on it so that sounds legitimate and these 10 news sites all 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 share the same story so i guess it must be true so, um, you know, we, we actually um, did do a, also uh, some research around this. So there is a um, preconceived notion that elder adults are more susceptible to clickbait. Um, and we, we actually did, did do some research around this. And um, it is true that, um, generally speaking, older uh, adults, meaning 65 plus, there's about a seven percentage difference in terms of how much they're, they're susceptible to clickbait versus younger adults defined as 20 to 35. But um, to your point about, um, you know, not recognizing sites that are special interest groups um, and not being able to uh, really identify, uh, uh, you know, de deliberate agenda sites, younger adults were actually more susceptible than older adults in our in our study. Um, Interesting. And, and so this is so it's a you know because I think part of um, us as information consumers to be better consumers is also just awareness as well. And and you know when over 99% of the people that we surveyed believe that they were good identifiers of fake news, and yet less than one percentage of those that we surveyed were actually um, using what are true fact-checking techniques, you know, we have a bit of a self-honesty awareness issue as well. But, um, you know, specifically, so, so I think there is a couple of dimensions we need to work on a society in order to become better consumers of information, because this is what we're really talking about, right, Tony? And one is obviously, you know, what, what I just mentioned, awareness. But second is, I do think that social media companies need to do more. 
and governments need to do more in terms of policymaking around that. And to your specific example, um, you know, we talk a lot about Section 230 and the Safe Tech Act. The fact that those um, the, those uh, the information that is actually revenue generating information, i.e., special interest groups um, actually putting in ads uh, via social media, that the social media platforms are not liable for accuracy of that type of information, I think is something that we could be a little bit more stringent around. The argument, as you know, of social media companies is that we're just a platform, we're not the content generators. And by the way, there's so much content, how could we possibly fact check everything? But objectively speaking, um, where Safe Tech Act, unfortunately, it's it's kind of, you know, it, it hasn't seen its day, is really nonetheless targeting and saying, okay, but if you actually do have a revenue generating model with certain content, then you should be liable. I think that's another area that we need to push in addition to the general public becoming better consumers. Okay. Um, so first I want to take a half a step back and and and, and say that you know, I, I, I thought the research you just shared was interesting because my, you know, first of all, just anecdotally speaking, yeah. dealing with my parents or my in-laws seems to support the idea that they're not as good at this, as, <laughs> but but that's an isolated uh, isolated uh, population. Um, but you no, know, my my thinking was always that my father, or even more so my grandfather, you know, grew up at a time with like you know the Walter Cronkites of the world, and. You, you just you you watched the news and 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 you you accepted that you know that 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 the, the journalist you know had good intentions or whatever and you know and and it's like so so if you're if you were raised on the idea that you know that the media uh, that 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 journalism is a you know virtuous uh, field and that they're they're there to share facts then you know my my thinking was that you know maybe you're less likely to question it and then you combine that with not being raised on the technology, um, whereas like me and more so my kids, you know, once once you've been exposed to, you know, theonion.com, then you learn to start questioning everything. Every every headline you see, you have to go, wait, is this an onion headline? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I like everything. It's 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 hard to generalize everything. I think I think listen. It's it's just harder today. It's it's not about the Walter Cronkites of the world. It's just that um, again, over you know, ninety percent of uh, the way we gather information is now online versus paper, and ninety percent of news that we gather is via social media. So you have this right. uh, crazy right. multiplier effect. Now, do we necessarily need to get all of our news via social media? That's the big question I raise. And to your point earlier, um, I think it's still preferable if people would directly go, for example, to uh, Fox News, Wall Street Journal, and CNN and CNBC. Right? To, to your point about trying to get some, you know, different different viewpoints, because that type of even review of news is going to be very different than if you were just clicking through Twitter or Facebook, um, even if you had those journalists 
from Wall Street Journal, Fox News, and CNN and CNBC as as those journalists that you're following on 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 Twitter. So um, I, I think you know I think I think the the whole principle of avoiding not using social media as a vehicle is a whole debate in and of itself. Um, but the other dimension of um, you know actually picking up a newspaper, picking up the Washington Post or the paper version, you know, there is a virtue of that as well. You know, right. one, one of, one of a very, very successful investor that, that, that I know used to tell me, um, now you, you may argue, well, you know, Helen, he's over 60, so he's not the new generation, et cetera. But he would literally tell me that his investments, um, his success in investments has been because he would literally buy, you know, sets of newspapers and he would go through the pages and in his mind with the pen he would do a pattern of what is going on geopolitically economically and in order to create his sort of thesis of where he's going to invest in and what he said was interesting is that you know it's not just what he's reading the content but also the visual pattern and what he's exposing which, by the way, if you're doing online, you're not going to because you're specifically looking to go and gather in information. You don't just fall upon information that perhaps you, you weren't thinking. And, you know, for children especially, this is very important because I do think the other fallacy that we have and challenges that we have in schools today is not only, as you pointed out earlier on this podcast, about the challenges of more memorization, less critical thinking, but um, schools are being having a lot of pressure to become more tech literate. And so the investments around hardware and, and you know trying to enforce more computer usage in schools is a movement that's happening uh, across the US. And obviously with COVID, thank God, we did have some means of Zooms for classes, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is, um, and we actually did a study of this um, earlier at the foundation, the importance of pencil and paper and learning, right? So. Um, you know, that I think especially for children, one, they are not being taught media literacy skills, nor clear basic tools for critical thinking, combined with less use of paper, pencil and paper. You know, we're really not helping our younger generation. Um, you know, we talk about the older generation with Walter Cronkite, but for, for this younger generation, you know, we're really exposing themselves to this difficult situation, and yet we're not giving the tools, which is fundamentally why the Reboot Foundation has decided to specifically focus on critical thinking skills, media literacy skills, and also um, as an offshoot, the study around pencil and paper as well. Okay. Um, um, as you were talking, I was reminded of... Uh, there's a there's a, a a thing that my my kids have have uh, told me about. Uh, like I have a TikTok account, but I don't. You know, I, I, <laughs> rarely ever have I even used TikTok. Yeah. Um, but they're on TikTok all the time, and you know, and uh, I don't know if you know or not, but you know, as you use TikTok, your your for you page becomes customized. You know, it it, it algorithmically places you into a box. You know, so there's you know, you 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 see the kind of content that you're used to seeing. Yes. I, I mean, adults believe that TikTok is 
um, a site where people just mimic dancing and things like that, but it's actually much more than that. And unfortunately, it is the social media platform that the younger uh, children use, middle school children, for example. Um, <laughs> you know, so a lot of people ask me, what do I do with my own daughter? I have an 11 year old daughter. Um, she's forbidden from using TikTok. And she, you know, she's at the age where she's accepted it, but also um, it's not just that it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's forbidding them, but it, you know, because of our foundation, I've also had her read articles um, and explain to her why my husband and I are of the view that she should not be on TikTok. Yeah. Well, so, but here, the, the, the interesting thing that my, my son, uh, who's, you know, he's 19, but he pointed out to me that, uh, there's a, there's this, uh, I'm not sure what the a phenomenon basically that when there's breaking news, um, and specifically, and because it's a, it's a China based company, specifically if there's breaking news that involves China, that TikTok will revert you to the like main vanilla for you page. And, and, and so now my son has really you know, recognized that if he, if he goes into TikTok and what he sees is the plain vanilla for you page and not his customized version. Now he knows that he needs to go out and check what's Twitter or check news sites and try and figure out, well, what's going on in the world that, that TikTok is trying to hide from me. And if only he could use that energy to <laughs> do more constructive critical thinking um, in his education, wouldn't that be better? But, you know, no, the, the great news about your son is that he's catching on and he's understanding and appreciating the the, 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 the challenges of these uh, platforms. So already um, the good news with your son is that he's seeing the patterns and he's understanding what's behind it. Unfortunately, most children who are exposed to these platforms, they don't understand that. Right. Um, going back to your thing about uh, Section 230 and the social and the social media platforms, um, you know, I, I do find it interesting, you know, it, like on the one hand, I think that there, there's some validity to saying there is so much content. You know, like I, I can I, like to me, it does sound like it would be overwhelming to try to like actually, you know, monitor and, and police that. However, I know from experience, they do a perfectly fine job of policing the things they want to police. You know, it kind of comes back to like the, the argument I keep seeing around um, you know, like school children wearing masks for COVID, where the schools kind of shrug their shoulders and go, well, we can't enforce this. How are we going to enforce this? And people say, you haven't had any problem enforcing like whether or not girls wear spaghetti strap tops for like ever. You know, like you, you, you have no issue sending kids home <laughs> if they don't meet dress code, like just consider it part of the dress code. Um, and when it comes to social media, you know, like, you know, Facebook, they have all kinds of filters that will block the things that they want to block and will automatically flag content. And yet. There's all, you know, all kinds of, you know, misinformation that still gets through, which which then leads me to question, you know, sort of their underlying motivations. You know, it's like it's like maybe maybe you don't really maybe you're not really trying very hard to, to block well, you know, I mean, but, 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 but if you think about it. Um, yeah, you know, the these are these are not. Um, these are not 
these platforms are not uh, entities, you know, to be benevolent to the social public, right? So they, right. you know, they 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 have their economic models, and we can't be naive that um, when you know it 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 always makes me laugh because. I'll, I'll get, you know, requests from journalists as, as soon as like Facebook will come out and say, we've shut down, you know, 19 sites um, that are giving false information about COVID, um, about, about false information about the vaccinations, for example. Um, you know, have you noticed that every time they make a movement, it's it's because they're worried about their own PR and repercussions from the White House, for example. You know, we, we had that a couple of months ago. So, you know, I, I think we 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 just need to be lucid that I don't for one second believe that the social media companies themselves will auto-sanction um, in order to uh, focus on uh, trying to reduce fake news because, again, their algorithm is such that they deliberately prey on people's emotions so that your eyeballs will stay on their platforms longer, period. So when you know, when when you when you keep in mind truly their economic model, what incentive do they have to censure information or even try to give you a wider perspective and have opposing views and diversity of thought. The echo chamber that we find ourselves going into social media, um, if, if we're active in social media, is a deliberate economic model for them. So if we think anything differently, we're being naive about it. Right. Well, and I also I, I have this conversation uh, very often, especially in the last couple of years, um, when people uh, bring up uh, censorship in the First Amendment, and they're like, "Well, you know, Facebook is censoring us," and I'm like, "And I'm like, okay, the First Amendment only actually applies to the government. <laughs> Facebook could censor you all they want. Facebook can literally just say, you know, we we will not allow Republicans on the platform. I mean, that's that, that's their that's their prerogative." <laughs> No, and and what they're indirectly doing is by um, by showing you what they want to show you is that you know what do you call that right? So, um, and and you know I think the other element that people forget about is that um, the recommendations of sort of extreme groups and whatnot on Facebook, sixty percent of that is actually what's being recommended by Facebook. It's not people seeking out deliberately trying to join these. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and, you know I, I've also seen it with YouTube, like, you know, Google slash YouTube will come out and say, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to crack down on this. And, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, we've we've shut down these sites because they had, you know, propaganda and, and misinformation. But then, you know, you could go on and click on an Ed Sheeran video and within five clicks, you're back to Nazi propaganda. And, 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 and Tony, I mean, um let's let's it, it, we we do need to be serious about this right because in terms of political views and things like that um yeah we we've seen extreme situations but when it comes to covid or other true health matters where we're talking about people's lives um you know th this is quite serious right so um listen um you know there there are there there's clearly 
very significant GAFA and social media lobbying groups. But I think practically speaking, you know, this is something that uh, we as society really need to uh, just be lucid about the fact that there does need to be some policy making around it. Um, but again, for me, it's not just about government intervention and policy making. It's also us as information consumers being more aware and being smarter about how we collect information. And for me, the solution is not, as we talked about, a group that says, you know what, I'm just going to do my own research. Or there is even a group of people that say, there's so much fake news out there, I'm just not going to do any research at all, right? So, uh, you know, and that that's not a healthy uh, approach to being good consumers of information. Right. Well, like I have a, I, like, I have a, I have a cousin who's right leaning, and and I, you know, he, he, but but he and I can have a reasonable conversation. <laughs> so, so I, I asked him one time because he 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 brought up I had posted something, and he and he had some anti anti vaccine. Thing in response, and I and I said, you know, and he said, well, you got to do your own research. And I said, okay, let me ask you this honestly. Explain mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. what that means to you. Explain to me how how exactly are you going to do your own research? Mm-hmm. And you know, and he, so he talked about, well, I'll do a search and I'll go look at some other, you know, like sort in a little bit of what you were of what you've said is is the right way to do it to try to find diverse opinions and try to you know try to you know get different perspectives on it and. You know, but but my response and, and maybe was, on COVID, not look for people's blog and people's opinions, but actually well, that's what, well, that's, that, that was my response to him, though, is I was like, I was like, OK, but you have to wait. You have to wait the information too. like you can't say, well, I found five things that say the vaccine is good and five things that say the vaccine is bad. If the five things that say the vaccine is good are peer reviewed scientific papers backed by 99 percent of the epidemiologists in the world. And the one thing you found is a YouTube video from a doctor who's actually a, a dermatologist in, you know, in, you know, Phoenix, you know, like that, those aren't equal. <laughs> yeah. No, but again, that comes back to just media literacy training, right? And, and by the way, there are countries in the world, for example, like Norway, that has really taken an approach in terms of a government policy that uh, Norway and Finland and, you know, um, some of these Nordic countries, they've taken the position that strong public education system is the main tool to resist information warfare. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it's this is not something theoretical. There are governments that are that are doing things. And you probably have seen recently as well um, in, in Illinois, um, they've decided um, that media literacy was going to be part of the, the state's curriculum. So, you know, the, you know the, I think the po- we have to look at some of the positive dimensions. There are things that are happening in the world um, to, in order to counterbalance some of the challenges that we have um, with social media and, and uh, the proliferation of fake news. But, you know, there, there are things that we can do. You know, when you were talking about um, your conversation, you know, with your friend uh, and your family, um, th- but that the fact that you can have a conversation, that's also a very important point. Because I often get questions, how do you actually even have conversations with family members when you're, when you're, you know, when you have totally opposing views? Um, right. And, and I think um, it's easier said than done. But it's important to set the guideline when you have a conversation 
that you take emotion off the table. Because the fact of the matter is, um, you know, you it's it's very difficult to be critical thinkers when you're very emotional and very upset. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's another reason why people say you should do digital detox, because as, as we were talking about earlier, the whole purpose of social media to keep your eyeballs on their site is they prey on your emotions. So in order to truly have conversations, I think you just need to kind of set the guidelines, you know, like, like you would do in a sports game, um, that, um, that if, if, if emotion comes into the debate, you'll take a timeout, right? And there's nothing wrong with timeouts in your conversations. We do that in boardrooms. We do that in, you know, in, in our work, work life. And we need to be able to do that also in our um, personal life when we're having discussions and debates. Yeah, I mean, and to go like way back to the beginning of this conversation, um, you know, I think in the online world, you know, not only are we algorithmically, you know, boxed in, yeah. Uh, to our viewpoints, but it's just way easier to have a, a knee-jerk response, and it's way easier to just you know share content and post uh, you know ec- extreme opinions. Whereas, you know, if you you know if you meet face to face with someone, it's you know you're you're less likely to to you know to the knee-jerk kind of reaction. reaction. Yeah. Like you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna you know have this like heated thing and and jump straight to ad hominem attacks and and you know it's like you can have a conversation with someone that said i have had conversations with people recently you know and like again I'll, I'll say the last four or five years um where they say okay well you know so what you you just you know if if, it, if it's an opposing viewpoint you know it it it, it, it you know it, it's not valid to you and i'm like no i mean i i i'm 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 you know Going on 52 years old, I've been around for a while. I have no problem having a, di- a discussion between, say, you know, Democratic values and Republican values. That's totally different. Like some of the stuff that we, has come up in, in recent years is more like, you know, just un-American or just <laughs> it's, it's just a humanitarian questions, you know, where I'm like, the, like there, there are things we can debate about what are good pizza toppings. Um, but I'm not going to debate you about whether it's okay to put kids in cages. Like that's not a conversation we're going to have. Um, no, but, but, but it's, it's, I mean, I mean, and, and the challenges, Tony, be, be it pizza toppings or cages in the internet world, it's, it's all the same. Right. So, um, that, that's, that's what makes it even harder uh, for people to be able to kind of differentiate, you know, I, I often use the example in a paper newspaper, you actually know which is the op-ed section and which right. is the investigative journalism. In the online world, a blog, a scientific paper, you know, it there, there's there you don't you you don't you we don't have the luxury to have a, a yellow highlighter says that says that this is a scientific journal and. Uh, you know, green highlighter that says this is a blog, right? So um, that that's that's really again going back to sort of um, the content, the nature of the discussion and the debate. Um, a lot of things become much more muddled. And if you take a step back, the way to better filter through all of that is your basic critical thinking. Okay. Well. 
so I wanted to I wanted to start to wind this down, but I want to bring this back to Reboot Foundation and and ask, you know, I know that you know, so you're 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 working to try to like you know get these things in education, but are there uh, are there resources or assets there like you know that that I as a as a, a an adult who wants to learn more about critical thinking can use? Absolutely. So um, uh, our website is reboot-foundation.org. And um, all the studies and research that I mentioned on this podcast is fully free, available for people to download and and review. Um, And we have tried to structure our website so that it's easy to navigate. Uh, if you want to do, if you want to review more studies around critical thinking for adults versus for children as a parent or as a teacher, and also um, if you want to learn more about how to combat against this. Awesome. Um, well, I will definitely take a look. And when I uh, just for anyone listening, like I, I will link to the site and, the, and to the resources, uh, you know, from the from the podcast uh, blog post. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I think this. You know, I think this is a very uh, important topic now, and I think it's getting increasingly more important. Um, so I think um, it, it. We definitely need to kind of like put the brakes on a little bit and and really get a handle on this critical thinking thing before this really spirals out of control. Thank you, Tony. All right, thank you. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, Please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.